Good morning. It's a lot nicer things you could be doing today. This is uh, painful for Sherry and me. Um, you always like to start things. It's not easy to end relationships. But we're not ending any relationships. We'll just be farther apart. I was struggling with what to preach this morning. And I decided that I'm going to continue with my lessons that took me 71 years to learn. Last week I said these were the best of times, these were the worst of times. Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday and he was lauded as the King of Israel. And then one week later they crucified him on the cross as a failure. But that was Friday. Sunday's coming. Um, three days after failure, Jesus rose from the dead. Absolute victory over sin. Perceived failure turned into absolute success. And I told you about our requested resignation from the Clear Lake, Iowa church. This all happened um, around my 50th birthday. And one's 50th birthday is traumatic all by itself. <laughs> but this added insult to injury. I want to tell you about some of the immediate lessons we learned after walking out of that church for the last time. And many of you, this is the reason that I've decided to continue with this, these lessons because Many of you are going to be able to relate to what I'm about to tell you because you've been there or you're there now. The lessons all come under the category of loss. Loss of a job, the most obvious of all, and some of you can relate. The loss of a house. We'd been living in the church parsonage, so this meant we had to find a new place to live. Loss of a church family. We had grown to love many in that church, and they had become family. Loss of a town. After four years, we had to leave the town in which we had been living. Loss of a vision. Perhaps the toughest loss of all was the loss of a vision. We had broken hearts, and we were on the verge of losing our vision and passion for local church ministry. God was teaching us, teaching us valuable lessons that we needed to learn about loss. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul said, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. We could easily just have closing prayer now. Just if we could learn that lesson, if we could understand loss as Paul, the Apostle Paul, understood loss. The immediate quick fix in our situation was a move from Clear Lake, Iowa, to Waterloo, Iowa, and to Sherry's folks' basement. 
I originally thought God had a creative sense of humor. I'd been excited about my ministry with Promise Keepers. It, was, it appeared that God had allowed all this to occur to move me into a new phase of parachurch ministry with PK. I was a consultant with PK and interviewed, uh, in interviewed with their human resource department for a staff position in their area of racial and denominational reconciliation. We were facing an imminent move to Denver when the word came that PK was facing a financial crisis and that a hiring freeze and massive downsizing was taking place. This was the toughest pill to swallow. I wanted that job so badly, but God is good. Had we moved to Denver, we would have been laid off before we unpacked, and I'm not sure that we could have recovered from that. So I worked with Sherry's dad's construction company, and lest you get any ideas, I was worthless in the position. <laughs> And Sherry found a job in a clothing store, which she was very valuable. November turned into December, December into January, January into February, February into March, March into April. It was the one of the longest winters of our marriage. And Satan took, as he will, Satan took advantage of this and tried to discourage us even more. That winter we were involved in three car accidents. I felt like Job. Job, you know the story. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Verse 6, chapter 1. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man on all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and I find it interesting that Satan left the Lord's presence and then headed straight to his intended to target all along. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home and with this news. Your oxens were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. 
I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And things were going from bad to worse for Job. And I want you to know that things were not that bad for Sherry and me. And what, we're, what we were going through probably is not as bad as what some of you have faced or are facing now. But loss is loss and must be dealt with. And the important thing, and if you hear nothing else, hear this. The important thing is that we don't allow our loss to manifest itself in bitterness. Let me say that again. The most important thing is that we don't allow loss to manifest itself in bitterness. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness. Even now, um, 20, over 20 years later, Sherry and I continue to guard our hearts uh, against bitterness that relate to these events. And we want it to be said of us as it was said of Job. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship, and he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. And hear this, praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Following April, I was asked to preach at the Easter service of Prairie Creek Christian Church. I want to emphasize that this was a small, did you understand the word small, country church, seven miles outside of a very small town of Vinton, Iowa. God was up to something. They say if you fall off a horse, the best thing to do is to get back in the saddle or you may never ride again. So like the old cowboy song, Back in the Saddle Again, God arranged a trail ride for Dave and Sherry. The next week, they asked if I would be their interim pastor. And for the next five months, we made our weekly trail ride down to Vinton. These dear people who needed a pastor were served by a pastor who needed a people. And I've told you that God never calls you to do something or to be something without providing the way and the means for it to be accomplished. God sees into the future. We only see the wall in front of us. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. We don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog peering through a mist, a message paraphrase. Paul really captured our situation, and perhaps he captures yours this morning also. During this period of wilderness wandering, God provided for our every need. No, uh, no bill went unpaid and on time. Sherry's folks were gracious to allow us to set up our tent in their basement, Little did we know that this was a test to see if we could later live together for 14 years in Becker, Minnesota. 
However, by May, I was really getting discouraged. I like what Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll tells a story about growing up in Texas. He had a black servant, not a slave, a servant, who was a dear friend of Chuck in his early years. And he came up to Chuck Swindoll one day and said, Charles, the trouble with life is it so daily. And some of us can relate to that. Many resumes were sent out, and I made it to the runner-up spot in more than one church. You've heard the phrase, always a bridesmaid, but never a bride. That was our plight. In truth, I probably talked my way out of getting hired in a couple of churches. I asked more questions than the pulpit committees. To say the least, I was a bit cynical. And I began to believe that God was finished with me in the church. I was now 50 years old, and I figured that churches would be looking for someone between the ages of 35 and 49. God must be ready to put me <clears throat> on the shelf. Like Job, I could say, my harp plays sad music, and my flute accompanies those who weep. Our hearts, our hearts were playing sad music. But ironically, it's times like this. Now hear this, another point that I don't want you to forget. It's times like this when we come to the end of ourselves that God is ready to use us. There's this old hymn that meant so much to us. It's called, He Giveth More Grace. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength <clears throat> when the labors increase. To added affliction, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving, is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And I found the words of the second verse of that hymn to be so true. And it's taken me 71 years to learn that lesson. I'm still in school. When I have exhausted, I'm going to make it, I'm going to include you. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, that's when God has us right where he can do something in and through us. A.W. Tozer one of my favorite writers, says it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. That sounds like something that's hard to swallow, thinking that God would allow us to be hurt deeply. But sometimes, I think Tozer's right. He has this right where he needs us to bless us deeply. 
Pastor David Toyne from the Agape Christian Church in Clear Lake, Iowa, invited me to attend the Promise Keepers Conference in Kansas City in May of 1997 with the men of his church. They paid for my res res registration fee, transportation, lodging, and meals. And David even took me to the Kansas City Royals baseball game where we sat in the rain before the game was eventually postponed. But this was all part of God's sovereign plan. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. No power. His power has no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. God was ready to turn things around in our lives. We had been living in the Friday experience, and God was about to turn the clock to Sunday. On Saturday, I was seated on the floor of Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. The Maranatha Promise Band was singing the song, Here I Am. Some of you may know it. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll read it. If you asked me for an offering, I'd give it. If you wanted sacrifice, I would obey. But my life is all I have, and I will live it, dedicated to the honor of your name. Gladly will I bow down as your servant. Gladly will I wait for your command. I trust, I commit my trust to you, for you deserve it. I delight within the guidance of your hand. Here I am, and I long to do your will. Here I am, I'll follow your command. Here I am, until my calling is fulfilled. Here I am, here I am. You have placed your holy word within me. Your book of truth is living in my heart. Written on each page from the beginning, there's a call for, you to, for me to play my part. Here I am, and I long to do your will. Here I am, I'll follow your command. Here I am, until my calling is fulfilled. Here I am, here I am, here I am, here I am. Lord, I have sung your praise, I've lifted up your name, I've told the congregation, Lord, of your great salvation, Lord. Here I am, and I long to do your will. Here I am, I'll follow your command. Here I am, until my calling is fulfilled. Here I am, here I am. And God spoke to me clearly through the words of this chorus. Here I am, until my calling is fulfilled. And with tears in my eyes, I got on my cell phone and called Sherry from the floor of the stadium, and I said, Honey, you can't believe the words of the song we are singing right now. Here I am, until my calling is fulfilled. It's going to be okay. God's not done with us yet. Our calling is not fulfilled. That was the beginning of the end of our wilderness wanderings. The very next month, my dad and mom paid my way to attend the Free Church Annual Conference in Palm Springs, California. Dad said, son, you need a job. I, I made arrangements to meet with a friend of mine who was the director of church planning for the north central districts of the Free Church. We met in a Jewish deli in the center of Palm Springs. There are other reasons to go to Palm Springs. I needed a job. Um, over breakfast, George told me about a new church plant in Becker, Minnesota. While we, while we were eating and talking, Dean Johnson, then superintendent of the North Central District of the Free Church, walked by and said, George, have you told Dave about Becker yet? 
Soon after arriving back in Iowa, the pastoral search committee asked us to visit in August. We had a wonderful visit and God began growing in us a love for the people of Becker, Minnesota. After the interview, Sherry said, they'll never hire us. I thought, thought there's a lot of reasons why I would say that, but she said, we're too old. Here we are 21 years later. I'm now 71 and Sherry is considerably younger. Um, <laughs> Sherry's 67, we're not ashamed. God isn't finished with us yet. 14 years in Becker, Minnesota, two years as missionaries in Haiti, three intern positions in New York, Wisconsin, and here in Pennsylvania. The rear view perspective on all of this, Job 42. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job even seven more sons and three more daughters. In all of this, in all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. And then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full <clears throat> life. What is the greatest lesson I've learned and am still learning over the past 71 years? When all is said and done, God is faithful. When I come to the end of myself, that's when God has me in the place where he can best use me for his purposes. And that lesson is valid for Grace Chapel also. When we come to the end of ourselves, God has us in the exact place where he can best use us for his purposes. I shared with the transition. Some of you have no idea why I stumbled there. Where's Paul Brown? Where's your hand? Yeah, I see you back there, brother. He made the mistake of calling it the transmission team. Early on in the life of the transition team, and I will forever not forgive him. <laughs> yes, I will. I love the brother. The lesson is valid for Grace Chapel also. When we come, when you come, let me preach at you. I really want to preach with you. When you come to the end of yourselves, when we come to the end of ourselves, God has us in the exact place where he can best use us for his purposes. And I did, what I wanted to say, what I did share early on in the transition team was that what Grace Chapel needs, and I'll say it to you because I'm leaving town. <laughs> what Grace Chapel needs is to be broken. And I don't think we fully appreciate and understand what brokenness is but until we come to the end of ourselves, we are not in a position where God can effectively use us for his plans, his vision, his purposes. 
So I say in the closing moments of my time with you is what Grace Chapel needs is to be broken. In many ways you are. Pray that it will continue. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Coach Bill McCartney, head of Promise Keepers, coach of Colorado University, met with a few of us and he told us, and it's a paraphrase of A.W. Tozer's statement, he said, it is doubtless that God ever uses any of us effectively until he first breaks us. Lamentations chapter 3, in closing, verses 22 to 23, um, perhaps my favorite verse. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. My family has been instructed that they are to sing that song at my funeral, which could be sooner than later, rather than later, the way things are going. <laughs> great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. All we have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto us. Sherry and I wish to thank you for loving us and including us as part of your family for the past 16 months. We love interim pastoring as it gives us the opportunity to expand our network of family and friends, but saying goodbye is the pits. We want you to know that we love you and that we will miss you. As God brings us to your mind, we will pray to our mind, we will pray for you. And as God brings us to your mind, we would appreciate your prayer on our behalf. I don't know what you have planned after I've been warned. Uh -huh. <laughs> Jim, you said that it's all good. Um, I have some things planned that I will say after lunch. I will reserve my time for then because I might want to change what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Father, thank you for this group of dear people that we've come to love. We pray that as you continue to work in their lives, which may include and necessarily must include brokenness, that you will prepare them for blessings like not unlike that you gave Job. And uh, Lord, I, I commit them to your care. I thank you for the leadership of this church that are headed in the right direction. I thank you for how you are bringing this body to an acceptable position where you can bless their socks off um, as they become the church that you're pleased with. In Jesus' name, amen.